you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the big uh, podcast circus tent in the sky. We're bringing you the most brilliant minds, the brilliant thought, thought leaders, the thinkers, the doers, all those sort of folks. And then, of course, I'm just the host over here doing whatever it is that I do every day. Uh, for 14 years and going on now 1,500 episodes, we've been here and we appreciate you. But as always, that's our lead in to ask you to beg for the plugs. Please please refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, uh, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and all those crazy places that we are on the internet. Today, once again, we have a brilliant mind on the show. Uh, Hunter. Clark Fields, an MSAE, uh, joins us on the show. Uh, she is the author of the newest book that just comes out August 1st, 2023, Raising Good Humans Every Day, 50 Simple Ways to Press Pause, Stay Present, and Connect with Your Kids. She joins us on the show, and she'll be talking to us about how to become a more mindful parent. And uh, speaking of mindfulness, uh, Hunter is a mindful mama mentor. Uh, she is the creator of Mindful Parenting Course and host of the Mindful Mama podcast and widely followed author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kids and, and kind, confident kids as well. And kind is important, I think. Uh, she's an MSAE and an RYT, uh, and she helps people, or she helps people and parents, sometimes people too, People, parents, that same thing? I don't know. We're just having fun here. Uh, bring more calm and peace into their daily lives. She's got 20 years of experience in uh, meditation practices and, taught, and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide. She's writings appeared on CNBC, NBC, The Huffington Post, Tiny Buddha, Mops, Elephant Journal, Mothering, and a number of other online magazines and websites. And she's the mother of two active daughters who challenge her every day to uh, hone her craft. I love it. Welcome to the show, Hunter. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me, Chris. I there you go. It sounds like you're living the experience and the life, too, of what you're writing about. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a never-ending fun carnival. Uh, so give us your .com of uh, where people can find you in the universe, please. Sure. MindfulMamaMentor.com. There you go. So you've written a couple books now. Uh, how many books have you written? This is number two. There you uh, go. Yeah. There you number, go. Number one did very well. It really surprised me. And then I, I was like, okay, I'm sure I can write another book. And, and it was fun and exciting because I got to do it in this like fun format with these tiny little chapters that, that just make you feel like you've accomplished something when you read like three to four pages and you're like, oh, I get the ideas in three to four pages. And if you're, you know, you're busy, 
that's like such a relief. You feel like you can accomplish something. So that's uh, that's my aim. <laughs> and it did really well on Amazon. Got lots of great reviews. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably, you know, moms are busy. They're they're doing they're doing all the nurturing mom stuff. And you know, it's it's good they have time. But it's good to know that moms still care and they wanna they wanna be the best moms they can be. Because anytime, whenever moms decide they're just not going to give a crap anymore, well, then we're in for we're in for a world of hurt. So yeah, we're, we're in trouble then. <laughs> there you go. So, what motivated you to add on to it and write this book? Well, I, you know, I, I wrote raising good humans initially because of my temper. That was my motivation. I was doing terribly. I wasn't like naturally an expert at any of this. I was really, I had like a bad temper, and I was really struggling, and so. I had to kind of turn back to these mindfulness practices to steady and become less reactive and to just dial it down a bit and then like figure out how to talk to my kids because all I learned from my parents was, you know, like, you know, barking orders and commands and threats, right? Like that's kind of like my natural, that's my like home, my native parenting language. So I had to learn a new, a new language, right? That was more effective and, and, and for a, a new generation and, and so yeah, so it was really about these essential skills. And then with this book, with Raising Good Humans Every Day, it was about, you know, I've been doing the Mindful Mama podcast for 10 years. Wow. And I've had uh, so many guests. We've talked about so many different things. And so I really got to, with this book, with the 50 short chapters, I get to, like, expand on, you know, mindfulness and skillful communication and just, like, go into lots of other areas, like our schedules, our lives, and all these different things that really affect our parenting and our experience raising kids. There you go. Have you ever thought about in the future doing a book called Raising Horrible Human Beings? I think that should be up next, like Raising yeah. Terrible Mean People. <laughs> it would be a really good uh, idea. You know, I think someone's written that book because there seems to be a lot of them operating. <laughs> uh, there. Uh, but uh, no, this is, this is really important. And I love how you talk about being present, too. Give us a 30,000 overview of, of the book, and then we'll get into some of the details. Sure. Um, so I think we're at our worst when we're parenting, right? Like if we go to like where we're suffering the most is like when we're, when we're reactive, when we're just like, we're saying like, if you hit your brother again, I'm going to hit you, right? Like saying things like that, right? Like, and it just, that's, that's kind of when we're at our worst. So we have to, as parents, we want to think about like, what can we do to do better in those circumstances. And, and I think of it like I actually have an acronym for it. I have the CLEAR method. And the whole idea is to calm our reactivity because we may hear like good ways to respond from well-meaning parenting coaches and say like, respond to your kids this way, it's better. And then when you're reactive, when your nervous system's like on overdrive, you're stressed, you just, that you can't even access that. Like literally your, you know, the, the stress response is bypassing that slower part of your brain where all that knowledge is is kept. So it, we have to, calming our stress response, becoming less reactive has to be the foundation for anything else we wanna do. If we wanna actually make a choice in how we wanna respond, rather than just respond out of autopilot, we have to work with calming our nervous system. It has to be the foundation. There you go. And, and, and it, probably all of what you described doesn't work well if you're not getting any sleep. Most of my friends that I know oh, that yeah. have kids, I don't have any. Um, I, I, don't, I think legally it's against the law or something for me to have children. Um, they've seen me and I've seen them. Uh, but uh, basically, <laughs> basically, if you don't have sleep, you know, my, my friends will tell me. They'll be like, I haven't slept in 14 years, Chris. And I'm like, what? 
I mean, that's the whole reason I didn't have kids is I really enjoy sleep, but it's hard. It's hard if you don't have sleep to, you know, deal, deal with all the stuff that you talked about as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's definitely a foundation. And part of that, like not getting enough sleep, especially for moms is this whole mindset that we have in our culture of like the self-sacrificing mom being so wonderful, yeah. but it really leads to, it's actually like a really toxic idea because it leads to this idea that, Oh, I don't, I don't need any sleep, but we don't, we don't, none of us functions well on no sleep. None of us functions well if not, if our needs aren't being met, if mm -hmm. we aren't, if we don't have like time with supportive family and friends, if we don't get our, you know, we're always putting ourselves last, or we don't get exercise, or we don't get sleep. And part of what feeds into that is that that mindset of like, oh, I'm always going to put my children first, but actually, like taking care of ourselves, our own self care, taking, you know, and, and valuing our own needs, as as much as our kids needs, right? Like they're when mm -hmm. when in, you have an infant, their needs are much more urgent, right? But that changes. When we value our needs and we start to then we start to say, okay, I am not getting enough sleep, but my sleep is really important. What can you know, it's the foundation for me being able to respond as like a, a you know, a kind conscious human being to my kids. So what can we do about it, right? Like this is actually rather than being a martyr and saying, Oh, this is this is what the great self sacrificing mom does, like, don't do that BS. Instead, say i deserve that and get make go find ways to get your needs met there you go i love it if i mean if you don't take care of yourself you can't share with other people i've seen this with mothers you know mothers will eat last sometimes uh you know she'll feed the children first sometimes she won't eat at all she'll just eat whatever is left over you know i, I see lots of examples of mothers that take care of their family first and, and god bless them but you're right it, it's 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 hard to share and give to people if you if you're empty you know, you can't fill a, you can't fill a gas tank with an empty gallon, uh, empty container of gas. Yeah. Um, uh, it leads to burnout and resentment, mm -hmm. ultimately, yep. you know, burnout, and that's, resentment. so, you know, and, and plus you're modeling for your kids. The best parenting is in modeling. What are you, <laughs> you know, if you want your kids to speak respectfully to you, you've got to speak respectfully to them. If you want them to, you know, they're watching every moment, right? For 18 years. So it's like, <laughs> You, if you want them to turn into people who don't value their own needs and sacrifice themselves for everybody else first, like then maybe you should go ahead. But if that's not what you want for your kids, maybe you should start to value your own needs too. There you go. Uh, let's hear a little bit of your origin story. How did you get down this road, and and what made, guided you kind of into this practice? I understand that you uh, have the title of MSAE. Uh, mm. to expand on that and what that is, and, and kind of how you got down this road of of focusing on this. It was kind of a surprise uh, sort of twist in my journey for me. Mm -hmm. My MSAE stands for Master of Science in Art Education. Uh -huh. And so I was briefly a high school art teacher and it, it felt like it was killing my soul. It was the first time I ever had panic attacks in my life was in that parking uh -huh. lot. And um, and then I when I, I did a, a yoga teacher training so that I could like get free yoga. <laughs> And then I, as I got into that, the, that helped me like kind of follow my, my mindfulness practice a little bit more. Oh. That was the mindfulness practice was something I'd started learning about when I was a teenager, just desperate for some relief for the like intense sort of ups and downs of being a highly sensitive person. And so then 
as I, I moved away from teaching and then I, I had my first child, I, that was when I started to sort of pursue, you know, follow this other line of, of blogging and writing. And then from that eventually came a lot of learning, a lot of different trainings and learning to, to then bring myself to this place where I can offer these practical tools, but also with the standpoint of like, no, this wasn't something I was naturally good at. It was something I was naturally kind of like, I kind of sucked at it. I was good at a lot of other things, but I was, I was really felt like I was failing at this. And so I was like, wanted to know, you know, what actually works? Like, how do you do these things? So I, everything I write is very, very practical. I really want to help parents in a very easy, practical way. There you go. And you talk about staying present. And I really love this concept of staying present. I was going through uh, a very hard time, uh, and and I, I couldn't control my mind, and things were out of control. And eat my dogs, my lo- which are my children, would come up to me, and and I just felt like they were passing me by in life, and I, I couldn't connect to them. I just sit there and look at them. I I was like, why can I feel like I'm connecting? And um and then I read uh, Eckhart Tolle's book uh, under recommendation from a friend, and it sounds like you use some different techniques like meditation and yoga. Tell us a little bit about that and why it's important to be present and you know a lot of people they go through raising kids and it's over before they know and i hear a lot of my uh, parent friends complain about they're like geez where where the time go yeah i mean there's so many reasons to to be present i mean the for parents i think you know for me initially as a um as a high schooler i was like struggling with intense ups and downs kind of my whole life i'd felt things very deeply and the uh, mindfulness practices they really helped me to um, to recover more quickly, to interrupt negative thought cycles, and to bring myself back to the present moment. And what that does beautifully is like when we're always kind of, our brains are in these, you know, black boxes in our skull, right? They're just trying to keep us alive and keep us safe. So they're always predicting the future. And so our our brains sometimes, you know, are, are delving into the past, but a lot of time it's into the future, it's planning, it's worrying, you know, that's what the natural human tendency towards anxiety comes from is like kind of keeping us alive. And when we can, you know, a mindfulness practice, what's beautiful about it is it helps us to interrupt that. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it goes away. Like, you know, it's not like you stop thinking that you'd have to have like a lobotomy or something like we don't want that, right? I've got one scheduled next week. (laughs) The brain thinks just as the ears hear and the eyes see. Mm -hmm. So we we practice to come back to the present and it just provides this relief from the constant foreshadowing and going in the future. And then for parents, it's, it's a shame because so many of us, we want to be good parents. So we go into it in this like kind of achievement mode, maybe that we've had for a lot of our lives. So we've been trained in from school and things like that, where we want to get the good grade and we want to get, do the extra credit, right? So we plan the big blowout vacation. We, we have all the different classes and things, everything's lined up. And, but then what happens is our brain is then in constant autopilot mode where mm-hmm. we're planning, we're, we're on logistics for dinner and next week and tomorrow and getting to the class and getting to this and doing all these different things. And the thing is that when we get, we get, when we plan in such a way like that, when we finally get to that Cancun vacation, right, where we think, oh, I'm going to be really present and with my kids, your brain can't do it because you have practiced being in the future and being on autopilot all the time. Mm-hmm. And the only place we can love our children is in the present moment. Exactly. That's it. 
That's exactly. the only thing. And so the thing they want most from us the, is to be seen, to be heard. They want uh, that expression of delight in seeing them and accepting them just for who they are, just for existing. And that is this incredible gift we can give another human, our children. And we can't do it if we're always moving forward in the future for when we're always in autopilot mode. So it is imperative. If we want to actually experience this experience of life, of, of, be, of being with these humans, right, that maybe, you know, likely came out of our bodies, right? Like, we have to practice a little bit every day to, to interrupt that autopilot and come back to being present. I see you. I hear you. I am here in this moment with you. There you go. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, and be sure to check out Chris Voss Leadership institute.com now back to the show you know it, it's so important especially because life goes so by so fast by you uh and sometimes you know we don't have a full run with the people that are in and out of our lives or maybe we're the person who's not going to be the full run uh you know maybe a parent uh, passes away beforehand the the imprint that parents leave on children is like so important you mentioned earlier about you know you set an example for them in my book i wrote about how uh even parents are leaders. You know, we don't, people think of leaders as, oh, CEO, you know, a guy who runs Apple computers. And I talk about how parents are leaders too. You're, you're leading, but you're also setting an example and showing how to be, number one, like you talk about, a good human being. Um, or, you know, some people might be showing something different. I've seen it on cops. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and also the relationship you have between uh, a masculine and feminine in the household. You, you show how that dynamic works and, and raises. And all that gets representation and imprint into their brain. And if they don't have good imprint, imprints of, you know, what it, a good person is, someone who operates with good morals, honesty, integrity, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to grow up and have some problems, I think. I don't know. I could Absol be wrong. No, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know, that modeling piece is so huge. And it's funny because we kind of have, you know, and this kind of goes into sort of that communication piece, right? Like there's that piece about being less reactive and then how do we communicate? A lot of us just kind of, we replay the same things that our parents did, you know, did with us and just, you know, it, that's our model, right? We're not taking any classes. A lot of us, we're not, you know, we're not learning. And that we think that, you know, we have these ideas of like, well, if I'm going to, I'm going to bark orders at my kid and I'm going to threaten my kid and then I'm going to expect them to be very respectful to me, except we're not modeling it. We're not modeling it. We're modeling the one with the most power wins. And then we, then we have, a, then if we're lucky, maybe we have a second child and we start to see the first child say, well, this is what happened to me anyway, saw the first child barking orders and, and, you know, yelling at the younger child. And I was like, oh, 
Wow, that's what I sound like. Uh-oh, you know, and that's oh, a great wow. <laughs> That's a great gift because then we can say, "Oh, okay." You know, like mm -hmm. I think parents we're going to repeat ourselves with our kids a bazillion times because that's just the nature of human beings and that's how we learn as we learn through repetition. All human beings do, adults do. Don't do, if you think you want your kid to do something the first time you say it, think of it imagine an adult just like getting something the, the number one time you say it and then kind of shift those expectations but we're going to repeat ourselves a lot so we might as well be practicing to repeat the kind of language we want spoken back to us the kind of you know interest and tone and respect that we want spoken back given back to us we have to give what we want to receive we have to model that for our kids it's not like we speak to some people in the world in one language and then we speak to kids in a totally different language like that that actually doesn't work so it's it's not very effective yeah one thing i noticed when i was growing up in high school uh is that most of my bullies when I got to get some uh, knowledge of what their home life was like, their home life, their home life was really ugly, and usually their parent was a bully. Uh, you know, and and I think we we've we've kind of grown through these different ages of where you know it used to be really about survivalship, you know, and people are just surviving. So it's like you know suck it up and you know maybe maybe take a belt to the kid or whatever, and and maybe punishment was a little harsh, and and then of course the examples that were set for us probably weren't always so great. So I think it's important that there are resources like yours now where parents can, you know, get some more education. As you mentioned before, a lot of people don't spend a lot of pre-education time being parents. There's, I, I wish I, I I've often joked as a single guy that I'm like they they really should make people. Uh, go to college for two years before they allow them to be parents, but you know I don't make the rules clearly. Um, but but you know there's always those people that say my kids will never be like that, and like mm. some of what you said alluded to that. You know I've I've I remember one time I had a girlfriend say you know my girlfriends they never be the people screaming in the in the grocery store, and I look remember looking at her thinking, damn your kids are gonna be the ones. <laughs> Well, it's funny too because the thing is, like, before we have kids, and I did this too. Like, I would look at like the mom, like <laughs> losing it at this kid, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I will never do that!" Right? And I made like conscious choices, like that's not how I want to parent. And then that's what why it goes back to you know calming down the nervous system and calming our reactivity and understanding how that works because then i got myself in parenting of this adorable two-year-old with the cheeks and just so cute like it's amazing and my temper came out like crazy and it was so frustrating because it wasn't something i chose hmm. nobody is consciously choosing to lose it at their kids no one wakes up in the morning and says oh i think i'm gonna scream at you know skylar at three o'clock today no like it's not a conscious choice that we're making it's our nervous system reactivity it's our fight flighters freeze stress response feeling under threat that leads us to to you know get escalated and yell it's and we're not even using our whole brain right so that's what's beautiful about a mindfulness practice uh, as well as getting enough sleep <laughs> is that a mindfulness practice they've actually shown in mri scans that it actually sh there's the amygdala which are kind of the oh crap centers of the brain the seat of the fight flight or freeze stress response mm -hmm. it actually shrinks those and makes those less dense it actually shrinks the connectivity between the amygdala and the rest of the brain and an eight-week practice of mindfulness actually 
makes more dense the prefrontal cortex, which is the seat of our verbal ability, problem solving ability, creativity, but impulse control. Impulse control, right? It actually increases that in the brain. So this thing that can feel like I'm just sitting here and I'm I'm not doing anything except I'm thinking the whole time and oh, I can't do this and whatever, all this stuff. But this awareness that we build, it actually changes, literally changes the brain so that we can be ultimately over time calmer, less reactive, and use our whole brain to make choices more often. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I'm not the professional in this field, um, but I think when parents are calm, it, 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 pre- present, it makes the children more calm and, and secure. There's a secure element. Like I've seen people, and, and, and of course I'm just the theorist here, um, but I've seen people that, you know, you go in the store and they are completely ignoring their kids, and their kids are just... You know, have they're climbing the shelves? They're they're you know throwing things all over. You know, they're complete out of control, and the and the parents seem oblivious sometimes in these cases, and it's almost like the kids are just demanding attention and they're not getting it, and and so I don't know. It it seems like maybe being calm and being uh, secure can can mirror that the children will mirror that i guess is what i'm trying to say maybe oh for sure and i mean that's the thing about us like it's very especially true with kids and especially true with young kids but it's true with all of us that we feel each other's emotions we mm-hmm. inter are with each other you know like if i'm in a room with you even like over the zoom in some cases right like if i was feeling really anxious and you could probably see that in me you might start to feel some of those feelings we have all those mirror neurons if we're in a room with each other we start to we start to feel each other's emotions it's not our 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 pores are we are porous right especially emotionally we we tend to feel each other's emotions that's really a great gift of human beings and it's a great challenge of us but with kids they don't have the ability to you know they don't know how to regulate their nervous system telling them to stop crying doesn't work telling them you're okay when they're not okay doesn't work you know telling them to go to the room and do it by themselves that doesn't work it actually makes them more you know dysregulated so how do they get regulated it's through the process of a when they're infants soothing them again and again and again and again and again and then Later, as they're, you know, toddlers and smaller kids, like, yeah, you, that's why us taking care of our own, taking care of our needs, taking care of our own stress response, that whole foundation is so important because that's what kids, little kids need from us. They need to borrow our calm. We need to practice to become steady and to practice some ease and to slow down a little as best we can and under the circumstances that aren't easy for parents because parents don't have especially in the united states have zero support you know systems like and we're all separated from our tribes right like so it's very hard but as best we can we have to you know our job is to you know if we want our kids to calm down we have to calm ourselves down we have to you know, use the breath because it's cliche. We have to remind our nervous system that this isn't an emergency, right? That I'm helping my child and all of these things. And and that takes some practice. It takes some work. It's not like you're going to remember it in the tough moment, right? You have to kind of be intentional and practice it in the calm moments. And then that's when it's accessible to you when you really need it. 
Definitely. Should we, should mothers be taking time out uh, once a day to do yoga, meditate, do some of these things and, and, and kind of maybe step away and separate themselves? Absolutely, sure. I mean, I think mothers and fathers, like anyone in a caregiving role, because kids, caregiving kids, so hard. It's so demanding. But yeah, you should be taking a break and taking the time, you know, for what works for you, you know, to regulate your nervous system and to practice that calm. It may be yoga, it may be meditation, it may be something else, maybe just walking slowly through like that wooded path near your house if you have that, right? Um, there are a lot of different, in, in, in raising good humans every day, offer a lot a lot of different tools for that but but parents we have these expectations and especially moms have this expectation especially if maybe we've left the workforce or something that oh now I'm I have to be mom 24 hours a day all the time and that's what my child needs from me best is is but that's a misguided thinking because yeah, it's great. It's wonderful to be with your child. But if you're with your child so often that you're being driven bonkers by the experience of being with a three-year-old for 24 hours a day, multiple days a week, like who wouldn't be driven bonkers by that? Then how can you get breaks? How can you just be you outside of the role of mom, right? Like all of that ultimately makes you a better parent, but you know, you should do it just for you anyway. Like you don't have to back to that thing. You don't have to be a martyr. It's not good for you. It's not good with, for your kids. It leads to burnout and resentment and bad parenting. There you go. And I think, I think mothers feel guilty sometimes about trying, taking care of themselves over their kids. I mean, is that something, a challenge that they have? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's so much, you know, to you know, we live in a, a, a culture that's been patriarchal for a long time, right? Where women's were not valued except in their caregiving roles. So in that that mindset kind of lives on, right? We know that lives on, and that that if you know mothers who are assertive, you know, are not valued, and, and mothers who are nurturing are, right? Like so, we we know that that exists. It's and so that mom guilt comes up, and and I think it's important to. That's why I think it's important for moms, especially, to sort of, you know, surround themselves with some some media and things like you know. I do the Mindful Mama podcast. This idea of like surround yourself with voices who are saying, no, that's BS. This is not good for you. It's not good for your kids. Like because otherwise, you, it's kind of like the water we're swimming in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, and and we need to remind ourselves that no, our our needs are very important. Our needs matter, and and it's not helpful ultimately for our kids to always be putting ourselves last. Like that's that's not going to do the trick. And I imagine going to the gym is good too. You know, doing the self work, and of course, there's a lot of elements of the gym. I know a lot of mothers uh, go to the gym too as well, uh, and that that can be you know for me, the gym is almost a place of meditation, and and I kind of find myself being present. And and even though my dog kids don't like it when I leave the house or go to the gym, <laughs> they're they're kind of upset sometimes. But uh, you know, it helps You're- reset me too. You're a better dog parent when you get back. You are. There's us yelling and screaming. (laughs) No, I mean that was one of the first things I did when I when my daughter was little was that I took her to the YMCA childcare. And (laughs) she didn't like the YMCA childcare. My second daughter did like it, but my first daughter did not like it. And so they would come get me after ten minutes and say, (laughs) She's crying, you have to come get her and I'd be like, Oh god. 
And so I'd go back. And so we did that for like two weeks where it had to go incrementally longer amounts of time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of moms would give up at that point and say, oh my goodness, my child is unhappy, doesn't love this place. I will sacrifice my gym time for my child. And I say, you know, ultimately this hour where your child is maybe not in their happiest spot, but that gives you time to, you know, to burn off your anxieties, to feel good in your body, to get energy, to relax, to shower by yourself. Um, this is, you know, it's worth your child having one hour where they're in one non-optimal hour for them, right? Yeah. And then my second child loved childcare, so she was fine. But like, it's, you know, we have to consider, you know, we have to be waiting parents, um, parents' needs and values a little higher in the scale, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that is ultimately better for kids. There you go. Uh, I think you alluded to, too, were you a first child? Me? No, I was a, I was a baby of the family. Okay, you were talking about your first child uh, and, oh. and the paradigm between the first and second, so I took a guess there. But I was a first child. D is there any stuff in, that you talk about, and I imagine you've covered a lot in 10 years on the podcast, uh, about how maybe we should be a little easier on the first child? <laughs> it's hard though because we're so anxious right we're worried about doing it right i know i know where it can be so like the I'm first so child scarred. ends up birth order you know we did have a podcast on birth order we talked about how the yeah. first first child is often more responsible well they're the best but they're yeah. they're the the responsible one but but yeah it's hard because like i feel a little you know my <laughs> oldest child my second child by the time she came around i was like so much more relaxed. I wasn't afraid I was going to kill her all the time. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, I can just chill. I had started all of these yeah. practices more, so I wasn't like, I wasn't so anxious and on edge. And it's hard because parents have so much pressure on them, yeah. and we know like that that attachment style and styles of relating. They're like kind of, they're really honed in in those first three years of life and that's when you don't know at all what you're doing so it's like it's incredibly hard for parents but yeah um they sure we should definitely be easier on on first children and then give them a little more one of the things that we could yeah. do to be easier on them is give them more space and time to just play and be kids to not have so many when they're little kids so many adult um directed activities to have time for free free play this is so so important and it's something kids are like losing nowadays that they don't have time to go outside they don't have time to do mm -hmm. risky play like climbing trees there are no merry-go-rounds left in the world i have it was like amazed i found one once in pennsylvania i was like oh my god look my children this is this thing and and all of these things like are it's hurting kids like yeah. do you know that there are um there are occupational therapists, right, who uh, I've talked to on the podcast who told me how kids are falling out of their seats in schools. Really? Because, yes, because they don't have time to develop their vestibular system through swinging, swinging around, really? and jumping up and down, like those things, right? Wow. Like that's what a, maybe a merry-go-round does, is like it swings you around, and the kids need that yeah. to develop their vestibular system, their sense of balance. Yeah. So, these things that you know we know there's all these other reasons right but like this is something that we could give to oldest children and second children and third children is a little more time to slow down 
have some down days and just be kids just just play outside like it doesn't have to be elaborate it can be super simple and you don't have to be their entertainer either just let them let them be in your environment there you go. Unless you don't hear anything, and then they, you know that's yeah. the problem, then, right? Then check it out. <laughs> and then that secret is stepped down. Um, you know, I, I, as first child, I do, I do think we need to have laws on first children that mm. uh, they get to get away with as much murder as the as the baby people do. <laughs> I, I've seen it so many times. You know, like the first child sitting there going, "I, I can't, I can't do anything right." And this this kid's over here committing murder and robbing banks, and the mother's just like, "Yeah, that's fine, whatever. Yeah, we love that one." And you're just like, "I'm gonna murder that one." But uh, no, I'm kidding around. A, Nothing a bit, we but... need to talk to the therapist about. Yeah, there's there might be some issues there. He's seen me, and I've seen him. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's uh, it's something parents need to think about. And you you mentioned a good thing about uh, letting children children explore and play. Uh, you know, us Gen Xers, we, we, I don't know if it's the same merry going on you're referring to. You might be referring to the one with the rope, right? And uh, the bar. I had uh, like, ours had like metal bars. I was going to say. Ours, on to for dear life. Exactly. That's the ones <laughs> I was referring to or cut leading up to with the, uh, with the Gen X thing. That thing was a death trap, a wheel of death. Was what that was, especially if like some seventeen-year-olds got there yeah. and started to like yeah. spin it so fast. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I, I I sadly knew people who didn't make it off that thing, or who they made it off and and didn't land well. But it, it, you know, it was it was a it was a myriad it was a death trap of broken bones. But you learn survival. <laughs> it was a form of Darwinism, I think. I guess and so. you learn balance, like you mentioned earlier. So. It develops your vestibular system. <laughs> it, it definitely did. Which is probably why I have good fight or flight mechanisms to this day. Uh, a few more plugs I'd like to get in here for some of the stuff you have on your website. I think it's really cool. You have the Ultimate Mindful Parenting Conference that you do. Do you want to get a plug in about that? Sure, yeah. So I've, <laughs> I've done interviews with incredible experts over the years. And this is a collection of some of my favorite interviews, um, like a, a virtual conference of sorts that uh, can be accessed by anyone and, and uh, I, some of my favorite, favorite teachers and you can learn a lot. There you go. And then you even have a course on teacher training. My mom was a teacher for 20, 25 years, and so was my sister. So I know how challenging that is, too, on top of being a parent. Yeah, well, it's the mindful parenting teacher training. So it's uh, it's to help, it's to teach people to teach the mindful parenting course that I developed in their communities or wherever they want to teach it in like schools, institutions for parents. And it teaches the method of calming reactivity and then how to communicate. And it can be for it could be just for parents who are passionate and want to have extra, you know, extra income or work to do, or maybe sometimes it, like there have been therapists who take it to add on to their um, offerings as a therapist, et cetera. Definitely, definitely helpful notes. Uh, so anything more you want to tease out or tell us before we go out? Sure. I mean, I guess the only thing I want to mention here is that if you're a parent and listening to this, I just want, it's so hard. It's not easy. And one of the big things that I talk about in raising good humans every day is the, is the real practicality and importance of self-compassion that when we, we want to do right for our kids and we're going to mess up, we're human. We are going to be human and mess up. It's, it's inevitable. And when we're harsh to ourselves, when we mess up, when we're we berate ourselves, that just kind of leaves us incapacitated. It's harder to start again. 
And what we really need to do is to be able to begin anew again and again every day. And so when we start to, even if it feels uncomfortable for us, it isn't our native language, if we, when we start to practice self-compassion, using kind words to ourselves when we make mistakes, etc., it's actually a very practical thing to do because you can get up, you know, you give yourself a soft landing, you can get up and begin anew again. And it's okay, I give you permission, you have permission to be human, just give yourself some compassion and keep beginning anew, try again. There you go. We're human, we're going to make mistakes and it's okay. That's I don't think anyone has a perfect run through life. I think a lot of people think about perfection. I'm going to be the perfect parent. Maybe people think about, I don't know. I thought I'd be the perfect dog parent. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still working on it. But, you know, some of the stuff you talked about being present and stuff is so important. And, uh, you know, this life goes by so fast. If you don't stop to turn, take a uh, stop to take a look around every now and then, I think someone said you're going to miss it. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show with us, Hunter. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. I, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. And thanks, Manus, for tuning in. Uh, let's get a .com, actually, Hunter, uh, for you as people go out so they can check you out in the podcast. Sure. Everything is at mindfulmamamentor.com. There you go. Uh, order up the book, folks. Wherever fine books are sold, only go to those uh, fine bookstores because the Alleyway bookstores, uh, you might get mugged. Uh, check it out. Raising Good Humans Every Day. 50 Simple Ways to Press Pause, Stay Present, and Connect with Your Kids. Always important that, that better parenting can just make a better world, in my mind. I'll endorse that any day of the week. Uh, August 1st, 2023, you can order wherever fine books are sold. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out.